Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark, and we are back on for another episode of, well, I guess, I don't know, is this Wusha Workshop, or is this a, an isolated Halloween special? Let, let, let's, just like the Simpsons Halloween specials, this is the Wusha Workshop Halloween special. Okay. So it's, it's a little different. There's no uh, movie involved, we're just talking about gaming stuff. And, uh, and before we start, I, do, I, I want to mention, I'm back in at my place. People that have been listening probably know I've been recording out of another location, and it's been affecting uh, coordination of things. And so if I seem more at ease today, it's because we're back sort of in the normal situation that we're always recording in. Um, so today we're going to talk about House of Paper Shadows, which is the Halloween module that, we, uh, that, I, that I put out for Bedrock Games. And Joel was kind enough to take a look at it and and, and, and give me some thoughts on it. And we just decided that we'd, we'd talk about it, um, you know, to sort of celebrate the release and celebrate Halloween because the intent of the adventure was to put out, like, the perfect Halloween module. So, so yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'll, I'll put the ball in your court, Joel, because I, I, don't, I, I can't really say anything without just sounding like I'm, you know, just, you know, uh, trying to sell something. So Right. The author reviewing the own work always has a, has a sort of, um, I don't know, just kind of vanity thing to it, I guess. But, like, I, I think that reasonably you should be vain about this. I would be really proud if I had made a module this good. So uh, taking taking it from your goal, which is making what, what is basically the perfect Halloween module, and my goal, which is uh, getting a module that is something that I would actually put in a game, run, steal from for a game, you, you did really close on both of them. Uh, I would definitely use this. Uh, I don't know if it's the perfect Halloween module but like, no joke, it's up there. It's mm. it's really something. Uh, right before the podcast, I uh, I was telling you about how <laughs> how I was like w- looking through it, and I was like, this is fantastic, but it reminds me of something, and it yeah, it reminds me of Castle Ravenloft in that it takes uh, it, it takes something that isn't necessarily universally horror, which is the um, it's, it's for the uh, Ogre Gate uh, RPG you made, right? Uh, and that's not a universally horror game, just like D&D is not a universally horror game, but there are horror elements in both. And it emphasizes the horror element in a way that is really immersive and fun. Uh, it has a lot of elements uh, in common with Castle Ravenloft in that it has a really beautiful isometric map inside, which, by the way, I was uh, just going through a couple of days ago, just kind of admiring it, and I was recognizing... I'm cracking it open right now and checking it out. I was recognizing a very fun element, which is the art itself is extremely easy to correspond to the gameplay. Like, the isometric map is right next to a top-down map with the key, and the key links very cleanly and directly to that isometric map, and that links very cleanly and directly to the descriptions in the key, which are incredible. Like, for example, there's a... And this is... I could go on about this. I am going to go on about this a lot. It's really freaking beautiful. But, for example, <clears throat> here in the, uh, the, the kind of, like, northern chunk the northeastern chunk corner, there's this really fascinating, like, organic-looking uh, room that's that's drawn on there in the isometric map. And as you go up, it's a multi-tiered structure. It's this kind of stone roundhouse. That same organic-looking structure is in every room that's above that vertically. That's really visually arresting. So I can just look right across over to the, the top-down map, which, which is keyed, uh, and it like, directly corresponds to this room 8, and, of course, other rooms are 27 and 44. And, indeed, if you flip to any of those in the key, which is a couple of pages off, you get these wonderful descriptions of this room that is filled with this horrible, fleshy mass. 
the spirited flesh of Zun Li. Yeah, that... Again, this is one of those things where... And I, I like, actually, I have to compare this a little bit to uh, Maze of the Blue Medusa, which I also recently acquired because they did a reprinting, thank God. I've been trying to get my hands on that forever. And they do the same thing where... Even though that module does tell you that only terrible GMs, quote-unquote, read directly from the text, you're very tempted to, because the text itself in the key is extremely good. Mm -hmm. It's evocative, it's fun to read, and it's fun to say out loud. And so it gives you every reason on Earth to not take its advice, and I kind of feel that same way. Like, I could seriously, like, if this whole review was me just being like, and this is cool too, Mm -hmm. and just reading out loud the exact literal text here... It would still be a pretty glowing review. <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, that. Uh, that map, by the way, is done by Francesca Burrell, who I really have to compliment because it's, I mean, this was not an easy, you know, as you can see, it's like, number one, it's the circular dungeon, which is very, very challenging. And and, and, oh, yeah. and, you're, and you're quite right. Like, I definitely wanted to get that Castle Ravenloft vibe. I mean, people who know me know Ravenloft is my favorite setting. Castle Ravenloft is a, just I consider it one of the best modules ever, and and pretty much any of the early Ravenloft modules tended to ape Castle Ravenloft. Do you know what I mean? Like even Feast of Goblins, yeah. it had those same kind of maps in it, and it did a lot of the same kinds of little things, and and so that's what I was trying to do there. And I I just I I this looks beautiful, but I can tell you from uh, you know my own notebook the. The, the which I don't have here. I left it at the other location. Otherwise, I'd show it to you. But the original maps that I gave Francesca are pitiful. They're, they, you know, they, they get the job done. Do you know what I mean? Like I knew what was where, and it, for for my purposes. But she had to do a lot of work to 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 take those model maps and uh, and turn them into something really amazing. Um, yeah, you. I think you can actually find this map online. I think it's on her uh, on her yeah. page. Yeah, like, yeah. If she you po- she posted on her Instagram, and I think. Um, She's got she's got like various images of it online in different locations. You should link it. You should really link it into this video or this yeah, I will. Uh, this because link... like oh my god, the guys, the map is gorgeous. R- remind me because I will always forget to do these sorts of things. In fact, you know what? People might hear some clicking, but uh, I will uh, I will type a note to myself just so I don't forget. Uh, yeah, y'all are, y'all are gonna thank us even if you hear the clicking. This map is gorgeous. Yeah, it's a really good map, and 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 I think uh, uh, I don't know I. I I really the big challenge of it obviously is that, again the circular dungeon is sort of a tricky tricky thing to do and so I I, I just was very I've impressed. I've never seen anything like this before. Not not that specifically like a roundhouse circular thing, and it's multi tiered, which is another fantastic thing about it. Not only like okay, so I've heard this termed in modern game design as location based adventures. Yeah, which is one way to say it. But I think that more, in a more primal sense, this is just the architecture of the place itself is an element of the, the whole thing. Like, there, there's something almost sinister even about the shape of this place. And it's, it's, it's the circular theme comes back into it because there's a chunk of this, which is its own little self-contained adventure, which is the time travel thing with the time sword, mm-hmm. which also is... It, it, I, I can't... There is so much, dude, packed into this that it's hard to even talk about. Because, like, okay, so the map is really good. Mm-hmm. The map looks good. And then if you get into the key, not only does it look good, it's a, it's like this horrible funhouse dungeon of all these horrifying things. There's really creative and interesting traps. 
all the treasure is unique and has a unique kind of haunted horror aspect to it. Like just today, I was going through it, and like, um, and by the way, that treasure not only is it keyed into the rooms, there's also a separate part in the end of this that specifically tells you again what all the treasure does, which is fantastic because it means you don't have to necessarily put it in the keyed room. Oh God, it it's easy to like kind of spiral out and see all yeah. the stuff this module can do. So you're gonna have to bear with me. I'm gonna gush a little bit. But like, just to give you an example of the one I saw today, uh, it's the uh, the robe that the ghost hunter died in, and his. Uh, let me see, where is it? Uh, buh, 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 buh. Oh, where is the damn thing? It's the robe the ghost hunter died in, and like his blood stained it. And so now, if you wear the robe, you have ghost hunting powers. Yeah, that was. That? And I, I think I think that was an idea that was inspired by um, a movie called The Bride from Hell that I saw, <laughs> where there was a robe that was kind of like that. And, it's a very and, wuxia, very wuxia kind of uh, thing. But there's not there's not a lot of places in this, and this is a problem, a, a reasonable complaint that people have with D&D, which is the whole go in, get gold, come out, is, mm-hmm. is a very prevalent chunk of old D&D, because gold turns into experience points in older mm-hmm. D&D. And although that's fine, it's a little bit bland to just count gold pieces and what have you. And this, this module very skillfully sidesteps that because the it recognizes that magic items and, and treasures are something that give you power without necessarily being linked to a numerical expression of your character getting more like build options. Yeah. So Which is something that, I can totally do in D and D. I mean when I when I run D and D campaigns, I, I tend to lean on the magic items a little more than on the gold pieces, but um you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, and I think I think it also depends on the edition you're playing because different editions will emphasize magic items more or less. Oh yeah, F- fifth is actually really forgiving with doing magic items. It doesn't have the GP to XP link. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually did a, a one shot of fifth edition that was uh, an hour long, an hour long prep time, and then a three hour long session, so it was super tight. Mm-hmm. And I recognized when I was designing that that it was probably better just to give them magic items instead of having them haul around gold okay. because they had an immediate game impact. And it's the same thing here. Being able to hunt ghosts is a really useful thing to have in a haunted freaking roundhouse. So it immediately changes the way the game is played. There is a lot of that just seeped into the way these rooms work. They're all interdependent in that way. Mm -hmm. And you can approach them strategically, but in addition to approaching them strategically, and there being a strategic unity to them and a strategic unity to the challenges, there's also a thematic unity to the challenges. It's all linked by the theme and by the little mini adventure where you can travel back in time to fight the uh, to to try to prevent the tragedy that led to the creation of the roundhouse. So there's just so much to appreciate in that writing. It's like overwhelming to try to talk about it because like that's the kind of, that's the kind of links and 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 richness and interconnectivity that you dream about encountering in something like this. And it's the kind of stuff you encounter in only a few modules. Like, uh, Yunsoon has something that's very close to that, although it's a little more scattered. Uh, Maze of the Blue Medusa absolutely certainly does. Most of Zack Smith's work is, is very, it has a strong internal unity like yeah. that. But this one does also. And that's so rare and so wonderful to see. Now, when you so say like, internal, I'm just curious, what, uh, like, what do you mean by internal unity? I'm just a little bit cloudy on the... Okay, so to, to contrast, I'll give you another example module that I've been I've been running off and on, uh, which is oh, what is what is that the name of that thing? I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it now. It's the one that uh, Jenna Jacques did way back in the day. The uh, Caverns of Thracia. There it is. I had to draw it out from my memory. So Caverns of Thracia uh, is a huge like mega dungeon. There's lots of levels. There's lots of stuff. 
And although there's some bleed between like the the theme or the the characters or monsters that are in one given level, it doesn't really have an overarching cohesive theme to the dungeon. It's just a big dungeon with lots of and variety. Just, and just to stuff. emphasize, she's a really good designer. So this is <coughs> oh, not. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no kidding. This is the reason uh, I called this a classic. Um, you know, it can't because that was out before even Castle Ravenloft, right? Like that. Was, oh yeah. Yeah, that's, that's one of the ancient modules that showed people how much, how good D and D could be. If you, so if, you if you weren't around, like in the, like, and I wasn't around in the early, early days of the hobby, but I was around yeah, in like the mid '80s, and the things actually start like innovations would actually happen and change. You know what I mean? Like people would do things differently, and so I'm, you know, it's it, you can't really compare modules from one era to the next if something mm. wasn't done yet. Well, right, we're, we're talking about effectively comparing a modern work to like one of the like initial bedrocks of D D. Yeah. But again, I think the comparison is fair because in a lot of ways I'm not I, I don't to, I'm I'm very uncomfortable with, with the with the, with the comparison. Um well what I'm saying is like, okay even comparing it to what is undisputably gold standard well, of Dungeon I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Only because she's had like such an influence, like not just me, but like on everybody in the hall. Oh yeah, no, my my design's heavily influenced by by her thinking and the way she uh, she puts things together. And that that interconnectedness really didn't even exist. You might have got something like let's let's go away from from that for a second and compare it to like kind of a funhouse dungeon like okay, uh, okay. Uh, Tomb of Annihilation. It's a good example where like. The, the kind of theme of Tomb of Annihilation is dangerousness to the characters that go into it. You know, it's it's sort of famous for killing people. And it's it's designed that way, but you wouldn't necessarily say that all the stuff inside of that has a perfect logical consistency to it. it it's kind of just, it's all sort of firewalled ideologically from the other things in it. And one step less firewalled, and you get something that has an, an incredible unity. Again, it's a gold standard. You get something like Cameras of Thracia, but if you keep stepping forward, the next thing you get is something like Castle Ravenloft, where mm-hmm. Castle Ravenloft scares were directly related to the overall theme of Castle Ravenloft. It, it wasn't just that it was, here's a monstrous thing, and here's another different monstrous thing. All the monsters kind of shared a common unity. And even more unified than that is House of Paper Shadows. Because not only are they unified in that kind of universal monster movie uh, thing... They're all unified very cleanly around this kind of wasp demon paper shadows thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about the unity. I'm talking about like, okay, does it make sense that this trap is in this room? Uh, is there a place where the scare you just encountered, as unique and weird as it is, and there's a lot of unique and weird scares in here, but as unique and weird as it is, does that scare make sense in the context of the history the in-universe history of the House of Paper Shadows, and yes, it does. They're okay. all very cleanly linked to the history of the House of Paper Shadows. This happened because this happened, and this is how it links to the house, and that's why the scare is here. Oh, it's all I very cleanly I described. Okay. And that's not universal. Because, like, remember the little slip and slide in Tomb of Annihilation that goes to a sphere of annihilation? And it's like, well, why is that there? There's no explanation of that. It's just there because Gary Gygax thought it was cool. And there's some stuff like that in uh, in Cameron's of Thracia. Like, there's an underwater tentacle monster in Cameron's of Thracia. Where'd it come from? Jenna Shockey thought it was cool. She put it in there. You don't you don't necessarily need to explain that thing in that well, way. Also, but there's some, there do. is, and there's something to be said too for the opposite approach, which is you put it there without explanation, and then the GM has to come up with the explanation after. Right, which can be cumbersome. Yeah, it can be cumbersome, but it could also be. Uh, I think in the hands of like a competent GM, that can be a, a, a very effective, not just effective, like a fun way to run a game. Like when um, uh, 
like like when I make a module, like a lot of things what I'm, you know, you start with sometimes with the coolness and then you tie it with a thread to, to, to the reason it's there. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think that's an exercise. Like every GM that is accustomed to using random tables, for example, they have to get into that, that, <laughs> that ability to do that, to be like, oh, this weird thing came up. Why is it there? You know, the in a module you don't necessarily have to explain why it's there but when the players start prodding it during a session you you may have to so um yeah that's that's one of the things you may have to justify I think yeah like, like just as a stupid example if there's a kobold in the room and the players instead of killing the kobold decide to torture it and demand why are you here where you know who is your leader you know you, you have to come up with stuff and so it's just it's it's that oh, yeah. riffing that, I uh, was this kobold there. Yeah. The reason the kobold is there which, is because I rolled a seven. <laughs> which, by the way, my understanding is that's what caused the original Castle Ravenloft in the first place, which was that it was the result of a of a random result coming up on a on a table where I think Tracy Hickman was 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 uh, was um, was making a um, uh, like a random dungeon or something, and mm. a vampire came up and it was, and and and. and and it became this thought of exercise. Well, why is there a vampire in the dungeon? And then I think that led to, uh, if if I'm correctly informed, that, led, that that's what led to uh, Castle Ravenloft. I, I like that too. You know, actually, I really like the really really ancient dungeon encounter tables. Those got linked to me forever ago when I was trying to make another different game. I was trying to make, and uh, I got to looking at those, and I, I love that. I love that there was no, there wasn't anything attached to those tables. It was a pure exercise in creativity. Because you would roll and you would get Manticore on level three, and it's like, what is a Manticore doing? Using that as a spur for your own creativity is a really good idea, and it, it does kind of force you to think about things creatively. And you do, as a human being, as a pattern-seeking creature, you do naturally kind of seek to sort of unify the internal logic of the random stuff you're pulling out. D and D is really cool for that. Actually, a lot of role-playing games are really cool for that. Um, so I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock that because I do like that as a distinct thing I think that's really fine and and actually that's something that you should seek out a lot. However, on the other hand, on the other hand, you don't always want that at the table. Uh, a lot of games expect you to be that creative about a lot more elements at a table. Like I I tried to GM Fate for a long time. I actually have a copy of Fate Core over on my shelf there. And when I was running it, what I found was I did like the versatility, but I found that I had to do that for every role and every stat and everything that entered into the game. Mm-hmm. Like, because whenever you roll, you don't just generate like yes or no answers. You generate whole new aspects, which are important elements of the game that tell you something about what the narrative of the game, because it's yeah. a narrative-based system. And that level of spontaneous creativity is something I wasn't really comfortable with as a GM. I like having the map there. I like having an idea of where some of these encounters came from. Like, for, to give you a contrasting way of, of doing the encounter tables, I build the encounter tables out of things I've already keyed into the dungeon or the things around the dungeon. So, like, if it's, like, say, the House of Paper Shadows and it's in some given geographic area... Whatever monsters are wandering around that geographic area, whatever things have a layer there, in addition to whatever's layering within the house itself, I use that as the building blocks to make the encounter list so you don't have weird results coming up. So it very much gives you... Yeah, right. There's a lot more unity to it that way. You don't have to have any creativity at the table. No, that's true. And and for a random encounter table, that's what I think most people do. Um, That's what I do for sure. But I think what I was saying, I was talking more about random dungeon generation tables. Yeah, which is... uh, which is a little, and you can do that spontaneously. If you're if your style is such that you can find a way to justify a vampire 
being in this dungeon on the fly, and that's like something that's really satisfying and fun for you as a GM. That's totally a thing you can do. I'm not going to knock that style because I've done that before, and it's fun. I think the advantage. It, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, I, that was pretty much what I had to say. I think the advantage of it is you come up with stuff you wouldn't normally think of. So, like um, mm. when I when I first was you know trying to sort of think of how to make a Wusha game. It was coming on the heels of many third edition Wusha campaigns that I had run. You know, that was sort of my that became sort of my preferred system for for Wusha. I had other systems I liked. The biggest problem with them generally being that they were usually harder sells for the players and Wusha is already tough. So three E was often the, the the best thing because it had that wonderful ability to customize through the character optimization and build system, which in in a lot of ways I often thought of as a negative but for wuxia i found that to be really useful um and so uh, you know but 3e is a very dungeon oriented edition of the game and yeah, and, really and, what, and and i often would would make dungeons in my wuxia games and i would use some of the random tables for generating dungeon content and stuff like that and it would lead me into really interesting directions and so because you have you have you, you would end up with okay there is like an overall theme, like maybe this is like a very frog-like dungeon complex where there are like frog demons and things like that. But for some weird reason, there's this demonic butterfly in there now. And I have to figure out why the demonic butterfly is, is either present, working with, working against, imprisoned by, like why is the demonic butterfly there in the first place? And so it, yeah, can, and it can create... That, that writing in dungeons very important, yeah. too. Because it winds up being really kind of samey, like, oh, wow, more frog demons. But you come into a room with a giant magic butterfly, the the players want to know the answer to that question. And if you have thought of the logic beforehand, it's great. Yeah. Well, Which could it... lead us directly back to House of Paper Shadows. There's a huge variety of cool-ass things in here. Like, really... I, I'm really impressed with the, the body horror stuff. Like, like, I love that. I'm a big Cronenberg fan. And... Spirited Flesh of Zunli. Yeah, I, this... By the way, I, I just flipped it open randomly to this page. I've been on this page a lot because there's a gorgeous little chunk of artwork with this guy that's, like, growing into a wall there. That Yeah, that's one of my favorites. That's oh. that's 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 inspired by Hex, um, which is a movie we covered on, on uh, Wuxia Weekend uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's a black magic movie, and there's a scene at the end... Well... Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I want to be careful what I say. Uh, you don't want to spoil it. You don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil it, but it's really also perfect. it's also a little bit um, racy, and I don't know if this is the right time for that. So, well, yeah. well let's keeping out of the raciness. Uh, can you can you still describe some of the scene? Yeah, I, I there, there's a ritual of... in which they uh, the, the, the they're trying to again. I don't want to spoil the movie, so I won't. But they're trying to get rid of a of a, of a haunting, and the woman that's trying to get rid of the haunting hires this. Uh, black magic practitioner who has her like shave her head almost like a monk and and just paints her whole body with all of these characters on them and it looks a little bit like the characters all written on Zun Lee there um, mm-hmm. but it's on a woman and it's it's for a much different final effect we'll say but it, but but it but I think that you know was, I was definitely drawing on that like that was the model that I had in my head when I was thinking of the spirited flesh of Zun Lee. And I just thought it was really cool. This guy that's like, you know, like his flesh has become this prison tower inside of the uh, inside of the structure. It, he is part of the architecture as well as one yeah. of the monsters, which is really neat. And, and in one uh, of my campaigns, he became the new master of the House of Paper Shadows because I had player characters that decided to work with him against 
the other forces that are in power there. And, and that's another important element of this is realizing that there's more than one way to approach it. You can approach it by playing the powers of the house against one another. They're only in the most loose of alliance anyway. There's yeah. like an inherent kind of disharmony and chaos to them. And you can exploit that if you're a clever player, as clearly evidenced. Yeah, and I think I think that's like whenever I have characters in uh, in 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 books like this, I always try to think of what their motives are and what they want. And so there are a lot of characters in there that want something rather specific. That if the players realize that, they can maybe you know work with them in some way. Um, I think that's really good for any kind of location-based adventure. This cat is not going to leave me alone today. She is just howling for attention. All right, no, she's got food. Don't feel bad about her, people. She's just whining. You're a fat kitty. All right, so that actually brings another point. Uh, the the ghost encounters that you have in here, I was checking out those a couple of weeks ago because you were nice enough to me this wonderful review copy. And, like, that's another thing where, like, these things show up. They're ghastly <laughs> because they're ghosts, and some of them are pretty grotesque. They, they provide clues to the house, and they're encounters in their own right. And just, again, it's just another one of those, like... There's that, there's the shadow puppets, there's all these things you can encounter just by exploring the house. You even, like, you clearly differentiate between high-traffic and low-traffic areas of the House of Paper Shadows. And this is all really clear and really clean to use procedurally as a GM. So if you just have players that are in there wandering around, the game generates so much interesting stuff for you. You'll never encounter this thing twice the same way. I mean, you could have several different parties go through this, or, or the same party go through it several times, and it would be radically different each time. And every little chunk of it is so worthy of being included in a game. Like, even if it's just a little stuff, like the little, uh, the, the what was it, the Room of Mini Arrows? By the way, another great little chunk of art next to that one with the guy that's totally which, peppered these arrows. Which is, uh, yeah, and that, and that artwork, that's sort of like um, a combination of Eight Diagram Pole Fighter meets House of Traps was the idea there. You could really see the eight diagram pole fighter in that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that, uh, well, the high traffic thing, that was actually, that was a result of playtest. That was me realizing in playtest, oh, like, you know, there's, I needed to have, like, areas that were high traffic designated because mm -hmm. of the struck, because of the circular structure of it. And it was both, like, number one, just to make the module more interesting, but also sort of a plausibility thing where it's like, well, they're going to have people patrolling these areas of the of the oh, yeah. uh, of the house and, uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where that's extremely useful if your players are infiltrating the house and it's it's something that's a little closer to window dressing if they've been say invited to the house because it gives you the opportunity as the gm to take a high traffic area and use that to introduce these elements visually to them as they're going through the house being led there and these things are being described to them so like there's just a lot of that in this, where, like, there was clearly, like, this depth of thought, and I guess, like you said, there was playtesting involved, which is always wonderful to hear about an RPG module. I'm certain a lot of them are released without playtesting. But because there was playtesting, and you incorporated the feedback from the playtesting in it, there's a richness and a cleanness to this that really makes it, in, like, exciting as far as, like, looking at it as a GM and wanting to run it. This is approachable. It's approachable in a way that a lot of modules just are not. Uh, it, it gives you like it gives you the instructions for actually making this a living part of your game, and that's just if you're in the House of Paper Shadows. Because I want to point out another thing that I loved about this, another Castle Ravenlofty thing, is that the influence of this house and its and its ma and its mistress, I guess you call her a mistress, 
is like saturated in the setting of Ogre Gate. Like even within this, it tells you like, okay, well here are where some of their informants are. Here's some of the, the places that that you'll encounter these things. Here's what you'll encounter there. Uh, and there's there's stuff like that. So even if like this not only has to be a place where you could run like a Halloween themed one shot, you could also make this something the players like kind of stumble upon. You could also make it a place that is like somehow involving the characters or their backstories. You could make this the end of a really satisfying game of investigating this. Like all signs and clues point to it. That's amazing. <laughs> there are so many latching on points it, it, because it's an organic part of the game itself, like the game's world. That's fantastic. And it does like the, the, the text itself instructs you on how to do that well. Oh my god, Brendan! That is so good! Well, like, I appreciate I, the positive feedback from you. Um, the, I don't uh, have a lot of complaints, man. Like, I want to give you, like, a more critical cross-analysis, but I seriously can't help but gush about this. It's so good! Well, I so feel like... Good, I mean, I, I was talking... We did this with uh, a conversation with Nick last week, and I was telling him the same thing. Like, <clears> I normally <throat> am a lot more humble about the stuff we put out. Like, uh... You know, I, I, I can see a lot of the flaws in some of the books that we've released, and I know when, when I get the criticisms from people, you know, when they're sound and when they're not. Um, but with this yeah. one, I mean, and again, I mean, it's, you know, every, no book's perfect, and I certainly, there are things I would, would adjust, but but the uh, but I feel like this is the best thing that I've put out in terms of adventure content, and, um, and, 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 and again, I think that... Uh, you know, it, it was because I sat down and I gave myself a, you know, I, I, I sort of consciously was like, I'm going to make this really good. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. that meant like I, I, I sort of raised the bar on myself and <laughs> I, I also gave myself the time to just think before I actually put anything to paper. Um, and I think that made a big difference. I mean, I'm not going to say it's like the greatest thing in the world, but if, as far as our, our overall line is concerned, I think it's way up there with all of our other stuff, you know, it's like, it's, this is something that's good enough that like, well, okay. So I also happen to grab the wandering heroes of Ogre Gate, uh, mm -hmm. core book, but I grabbed it because you gave me an advanced copy of this and I read through it and I was so impressed that I dropped what was 50 odd dollars <laughs> on that thing. Cause I was like, I have to run this game. Mm -hmm. Like that's, I don't do that for a lot of games. And last game I did that too was Adventure of Conqueror King, and that was forever ago. Mm. Because I was like, oh, I'll just, just spend five bucks and kickstart this. Uh, I was kickstarting the Domains at War thing, and it came with a free copy of the core book. And I'm like, oh, cool, I can look at that OSR thing that's so popular nowadays. And that, of course, led me down the path of that being my favorite system now. But, like, I was, that was like five years ago. <laughs> it was a while ago. It's been a long time since I was this excited about a game. And, like, even... God, there's so much packed into these pages. Okay, so, like, even just reviewing it as, can you use this with any system? It's it's a, it's pretty modular. And there's a lot of reasons to use it. If you have, like, just kind of a wooshy-themed adventure, like, I could have run, I could run this with Legends of the Woolen or Weapons of the Gods. I I, I will probably recommend running it with uh, uh, with Tian Shang once I finally get to the point where it's in a, a more, like, playable form. Uh but like just looking looking at this structurally for as far as like what you get as an RPG consumer, like as a person who wants to put stuff in their games, you get the whole house of paper shadows, just like buying Castle Ravenloft, which is impressive. You get a bestiary of a bunch of really nifty monsters, including the shadow puppet demons, ghosts, 
uh, you get uh, uh, what's her name, Ling Fang or whatever the actual like uh, Wasp Ling-Yin. Demon or something. Ling Yin, yeah. Uh, you get pre-made characters. You get a pre-made adventure, which you don't have to use in the House Paper Shadows if you don't want to, but you can. In addition to just exploring as as a straight dungeon crawl, there's an actual adventure in here, which is this nifty little time travel thing. Which I'd like to point out, there's a little uh, a calendar of events in it. So you can pop in at different scenes and screw with that timeline in a lot of interesting ways. Um, that's and so in addition to that, and you also get the magic items, and you also get pre-gen characters, and it's just like on and on and on with this stuff that you get in this in this book. There are so many approaches to doing to using this content within the book, ignoring even getting Wandering Heroes of Ogre Gate, which is just even like further giving you reason to grab that game. I. This thing is freaking amazing, Brennan. This is like dynamite. It's unbelievable. Actually, I saw someone describe it as uh, black dynamite in a in a soft cover binding, and I'm like, yeah, that's about right. Black dynamite. <laughs> the movie Black Dynamite. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, son. This is dolomite. I I, I I haven't seen that in many years, but I think I know what they mean by that comparison. So I take, I take it as a compliment. I take it as as a compliment. <laughs> um, um, you know, I. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's sort of like, um, again, I mean, it's sort of an odd <coughs> brew of different influences, but if you like, like, the old sort of 70s style horror, if you like body horror, if you like sort of these darker Shaw Brothers movies, that's kind of what was, you know, percolating. And I have to point out, for not ever having read Junji Ito, this is a very Junji Ito work. And you know what's like, funny? It's like the Japanese body horror stuff, you're going to see some some stuff that's very reminiscent. I, I, st- I, I, I still have that. I bought that book on your recommendation, and I sat down. I was about to read it the other night, and something interrupted me. And I was ah. like, on the, you know, like when you're on the cusp of like, this is this is like I'm like I'm really looking forward to enjoying this. And yep. and, I, and 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 so I, I will get to it because that first page was very captivating i thought i thought that oh, it, yeah. it, 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 it i can tell it's going to be good um it is his early stuff is really good i actually recently grabbed one of his more recent books and it's a much weaker entry okay. uh, unfortunately it's like a 2015 book i forget what it was called but this is a collection of short stories and like they just don't have the intensity of some of his earlier stuff like especially uzumaki but also gyo and the the fault of um oh what was it? the amishigaru fault it's actually called, but it's something like that, the Ashigaru Fault. Um, that stuff is like almost sickening in how frightening and, and repulsive it is. So, and again, like that same kind of caliber of, of horror and, and just the, the icky, squicky, gookiness that makes this such a great monster bad guy adventure, very present. And... Like, I'm not even commenting on the binding, which is really good. I'm not commenting on the art, which is breathtaking. I'm not commenting on the layout, which is is really crisp and really readable. I'm not – I mean, like, it, there's so much in addition to everything I just talked about. Like, I, it's hard to not gush. There's almost nothing in this – I like, I can't think of one thing I would change about it. Like, I, I haven't – I have yet to run it, granted, but, like, I don't – like, I've ran things that are similar to this, and they run like clockwork. I don't have any reason to believe it won't. The, you know, it's not too weighty. You, well, you can, keep all can, descriptions. I can weigh in there. I think – I think because uh, uh, I had a review out, and I know that the um, the reviewer had a little bit of trouble with um, uh, running Ogregate the first time <coughs> using this module. Uh, mm. 
he liked the march. He thought it was fine, but like it was, you know, it was his first time out. And I Ogre Gate is the kind of game where, you know, the the challenge to it is it has all these kung fu techniques that are these moving parts. Yeah. And that and, and that uh, the way I describe it to people is it's like running a campaign of D and D where everybody's a spellcaster. Every NPC, yeah. every every important character is a spellcaster, and you have to keep track of all these different spells that people are performing. And, and all the NPCs too. Yeah. So like, yeah, they, so, they. I think that's been termed exception-based design, and that's yeah. that's because it's being contrasted with a more unified central mechanic. Like you'd seen something like Fate, or even in like D and D with like the roll D twenty add skill modifier mechanic. Those are central, like universal mechanics. Yeah. And then exception-based design is stuff like spells, or in this case, kung fu techniques, which all have, do very particular things within the rules. Yeah, and what I what I would say is it's it's definitely something to be aware of when you run the module. Now, yeah. the there there are some cheats you can use, and for example, I'm just, I'm just looking at uh, and again spoilers. If you're going to play in this module, don't listen to what I'm about to say. But for GMs, uh, there's a character named Feng Yin, and she is um, she is sort of like the the big bad in the in the module. And her art makes her very much seem like the big bad. By yeah, the way. I love is... I, I love the art for her. I love especially when she's in her human form. I think that that really gets sort of something. It, it looks like a Shaw Brothers movie that never happened to me, which is exactly it, what it I wanted. Does even her like her hat has an insectile vibe yeah. to it? You know, like she and, has like wings on her robe this is and, beautiful and maybe maybe jackie found a shaw brothers movie that i haven't seen but but like uh but like it's the kind of thing i know i would see in certain shaw brothers movies and i and i just love the way it looks but uh but under powers what i what i've sort of um or not under powers before powers what i do is i i i i do describe two of her key techniques so that the gm at least has them in front of him or her when he's when when he or she's running the uh, the adventure, and so uh, you know that's something that I encourage GMs to do. I also encourage GMs to make heavy use of that when I include that in a module. So you know, basically, there's a list of say ten kung fu techniques in a given character. I would only mm. expect the GM realistically to use the technique that I describe <coughs> in the NPC entry, and if they're sufficiently familiar with the game, maybe use the other techniques. That's that's the yeah, approach I, I would that... take. And I actually experienced something like that when I was running Exalted back when I used to play that. Because in Exalted, you would have lists of 30 to 50 of these things in charms. And if you didn't have a strong familiarity with how those charms work and you hadn't played them a lot, it was baffling. And even if you did, the interaction of those charms and how they're supposed to be used tactically was very, very unclear. So yeah. you just have these piles of powers that player characters had and no real hope of being able to translate that into actual gameplay. No, it's, it's it, it is a big challenge. I mean, and, and luckily we don't tend to get that high, but but it does still. You still will often have like most NPCs. You'll see about ten kung fu techniques. Player characters can start getting up there like crazy eventually. And uh, with the player characters, it's fine because it's like playing a wizard. You know your spells. It's the GM that has to do all this heavy lifting of oh, there's a new martial hero. Now I need to be familiar with this guy's entire repertoire of kung fu techniques. Um, so so I I. I strongly advise that gms use cheats to help themselves get through that i also think eyeballing it is totally fine like when i'm running a character uh i'll often look at what their biggest damage output is and i'll just okay you know that's what i'm gonna that's what i'm gonna lean on for everything they do now you know what i mean just to make it easier 
<clears throat> and uh, I was actually in my uh, the Discord, the Tian Chang Discord, uh, a little bit ago, and one of the people that's in there is also designing their own mech game, mm-hmm. and they had a fascinating revelation that goes along with those lines, which is you really only need your most powerful attack. Yeah, and like that's that's kind of the way they put it, and like that's that's a good way of looking at it. You really only need the best attack, and they they were linking it to the amount of times you could use that attack before you had to go to a, a smaller attack type. But like that that was a that was a good insight. You really only need the attack that she's likely to use. I, I don't think it's necessary to write down all of the uh like all the different things and interactions of the technique, or even necessarily the most likely ones, because even in her thing, and she has a big write up, this is like yeah. four pages of cool stuff with her. But I kind of expect that from a character this central and this powerful of the whole thing. Like, even within that, you've got a section called powers, and it's got three powers that are very unique to her. You would imagine she would use these in an appropriate circumstance. So if you're just kind of fighting her, like, you know, and you don't, like, that whole paragraph of powers, it's, like you said, it's like, I think it's 10, 12 powers here, and it's this tiny little paragraph. It's really easy. The only thing I I would add to that, if I were running it, would either be um, uh, what I usually do with spells or charms or the like, which is a little page number reference, Mm -hmm. and the book that it's found in. That I found that to be invaluable when I was running Exalted. Or I would add... Like you suggested, a little like description of okay, at her best, what are the attacks she's likely to use with these? What are the defenses? And that would be it. Yeah. So yeah. like, okay, that's that's a reasonable complaint you could level against this. You might you might have put that in, but I mean, that's not really too difficult to add in. No, and she is so. a hefty hefty <clears throat> entry. I will certainly say that. And, and oh, yeah. again, uh, what I tried to do in the book is I tried to I, I I did aim for brevity in most of the descriptions. Like I tried to do a paragraph or two at most for most characters. I still think I could have whittled it down more. In her I case, that was really good. Yeah, in her case, what I assumed was well, she's the big bad, so like you are going to need to familiarize yourself with her before you run the. the, the she's not the just a boss either. Like she's so central to even the creation of the thing that the little mini adventure you have is about preventing her from doing the thing that led to the dungeon you're in. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's a centrality where, yeah, there's four pages of her, but those four pages will pay a lot of dividends because you don't have to do that all at once, except maybe in the ultimate encounter with her. Like, you can drop-feed the content from her into the rest of the adventure, and you can actually drop-feed the content from the rest of the adventure throughout your campaign. Like, that blood honey that's in here that makes you go insane and eat people, try to drink their blood for a couple of minutes... That's a great thing to, to start the investigation that leads to this house. You know, you you hear of like an inn where someone this happened to someone, and then as you're investigating it, you find out, oh hey, this honey is poison. It looks like normal honey in a very particular way. Where'd you get this honey? Oh, well, this mysterious merchant came by with the shadow puppet troop. Bam, you've got the campaign leading right to this this uh, housekeeper shadows. Yeah, and that blood yes. honey, by the way, is inspired by blood parrot the movie which is um a really good film i would highly recommend people check it out but there's a scene again i gotta keep this pg as i can but like you know the image i'm talking the blood honey image is very specific right and i'll sh- i'm gonna i'm gonna show you the original um thing that that i that was that inspired it um oh. but but basically what this was is uh um it, it was a uh it was an aphrodisiac that sort of had a had a 
a really aggressive aphrodisiac um and 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 it, and, it, and, it, and it caused people to sort of look and behave like this and and so uh okay so here we go I, i'm gonna send joel the uh the the image so that he can he can he can see the yeah, so i'm looking at the this is the men afflicted by blood honey image is this the one that like that's the one i'm looking at in the uh yeah because we had a player character named min who i believe was afflicted by the blood honey um, All right, and, and obviously, I, I I toned it down a little bit. In the movie, it's an aphrodisiac. It has a slightly different effect, but I kind of you know, right, which won't a... necessarily translate something you want to see at the table, especially if you're going for like like horror and body horror. This levels. Oh my, that is very purple. No, I actually I can see the. Uh, I can see that. Yeah, if anybody, and you know, what, I'll put it. In the, I'll put an image. Uh, in the link below, um, yeah, a little, maybe with a little warning. It's not particularly graphic or anything. Well, the scene is though. the The scene okay, is uh, the scene is it, it's it's sort of a very uh, aggressive aphrodisiac scene um, that starts out violently but becomes sexual. You know, it's 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 one of these things that is um, <laughs> classic classic Shaw Brothers. Um, it's very pulp. Oh, oh boy. There we go. I had a, I had a button but, on Skype. But, Skype with, has been but in that, but what was cool about it was in that in that scene, it sort of allowed the movie to skirt the line between the supernatural and, and the mundane because it looked like something supernatural had happened when it was really just this really weird aphrodisiac effect. Um, yeah, the first Detective D movie did something kind of close to that too. Actually, I, was, yes. I watched it recently. Yeah. The, well, oh, you, did, did you see that recently? Yeah, no, I, I saw it a long time ago, and I really liked it. And I was like, at first, it felt a little bit like Sherlock Holmes versus the werewolf kind of, where it was like you've got someone who is basically the the Scooby Doo of his generation, where everything has a mundane explanation. There's no such thing as magic; it's all science. He's a very Enlightenment era hero. And Detective D had something similar to that. And then they uh, introduce like the the beetles that have like the weird make people explode power. And like for me, I was like, okay, there's no science that backs that up. And then I thought about it. I'm like, well, but you know, it's not completely out of the question that something like that could maybe and, exist. And also, if I'm not mistaken, didn't they eradicate the beetles after? The yeah. So yeah, they eradicate so the only beetles like that in the world. So it's not totally out of the question that they could have like selectively bred a very rare strain of beetles with this very particular kind of poison effect. Um, okay. All no, that's, right. and, that, and that's got a long tradition in Wuxia. Like in, um, in Return of Condor Heroes, there are these flowers. And if you prick your finger on them, I think they call the passionless thorns. They're, they're from the passionless valley. And if you prick your finger on them, they poison you so that anytime you think about love, you suffer and feel pain. Ooh. And and the more the more thorn pricks you get, the more lethal it potentially is. So the hero is in love with Zhao Longnu, and he gets pricked, and she gets pricked, and they both can't. You know, the, it's 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 this like horrific poison that 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 anytime they think about each other, they they have crippling pain and and, and agony. And in the book, though, what ends up happening is uh, Yango, the hero. Uh, eradicates the the flowers after after all the events in this passionless valley occur, and and so it's this nice neat sort of explanation that doesn't make it supernatural because they're basically saying, well, this thing really exi- existed, but the hero got rid of it, and but it was a purely sort of you know mundane like you know it was basically a drug kind of effect, you know it had you know there was some you know. And how far away is that really from saying, oh, well, an evil genetic scientist with future science used this poison to make it so when the chemicals in your brain that are associated with love happen, it can be lethal or kill you. Like, yeah. you could have a, an explanation in a science fiction movie that was exactly that. Yeah. And 
I totally buy it just because of my cultural bias. But I'm curious. Know? I'm curious about your experience with Detective D because I didn't realize you had seen that, and that was one of the movies on my list that we were going to do at one point. Um, no, I, I, I have watched kung fu movies on my own before I met you. I no, I know that. Past. I know that. But for some reason, I didn't think that you had seen Detective D. Well, the fact that it was termed Detective D intrigued me because I didn't have like it's a Chinese cultural thing, like a detective who has kung fu powers. And I guess we have that in Sherlock Holmes, that it's a British thing, but, like, I mean, there's a Western equivalent to that, because you look at the Sherlock Holmes movies, or even the original books, that guy could fight. He fist fought. Mm. He had martial powers. In the new Sherlock Holmes, they have him um, using some kind of weird Victorian martial art, right? Isn't that... I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, but even at the time, like, the original books have him fist fighting people. Mm. So, like, I... I, I didn't know that about Sherlock Holmes. Like, my introduction to Sherlock Holmes was the version we got in America where, in America, we tend to see the the British as kind of above that level of crassness and violence. And so he was a lot more like, well, we're like, oh, well, I'll use pure intellectualism to vanquish my foes. But no, no, for real, he could punch you out. So <laughs> I think England would be the first to uh, correct me on the whole, no, we're good at violence thing. I think I think English style is they're good. They just don't talk about it like we do. We talk yeah, about it a lot. You know? We never shut up about ourselves. Yeah. So. We're Malfi. Oh. We're Malfi as a country. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, okay, I think we're getting away from the the module here. That's okay. Uh, I, we, I it's it's engaging. I'm, I'm interested in this part of the discussion. But about the 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 detective D, I, I was what, I, I did want to hear your thoughts on on just the um, I don't know like because because this Surprise, is a hard... there was a movie in it. <laughs> huh? Remember when we said there wasn't going to be a movie? Surprise. Uh, said, yeah, it, there always a was a movie. Stealth movie. Now, it's been a little while since I've seen it, but it is one of my favorite movies, so I think I can talk somewhat intelligently about it. But the uh, the, the, the I, I, I love that movie, and I, I love Troy Hark in general. Um, you know, and, and I'm very excited for the new one that, that just came out. In fact, I, I, I believe it's on Blu-ray now, and I know I have to you know get my copy. Um, but but how, how did you... Did you find that... like what? What would be your rating of the film if you were to give it like an A to A to F rating? What would it be? An A to F rating? Oh, oof, that's hard. What, what's because I got to ask myself what's my criteria for A and F? Because okay, so um, here uh, here yesterday it's the it's the Halloween season. I grabbed a copy of Pulse on Amazon. It's not on Prime. I had to buy it. But Pulse is a really nifty little horror Japanese movie that's very cerebral and it's it's got almost a David Lynchy kind of vibe to it. And I. If I had to give a movie an A, it would be for something like, did it affect me? And it did. Like, I watched Pulse and I was creeped out of my mind. And does it stand for repeat viewings? And, like, can I recommend it to my friends? Is it original? Is it well constructed on the terms of, like, how you would construct a movie and tell a story visually? And I think that's that's the criteria I would use. And for that, a movie like Pulse, which has an A in all those ratings, would have an A rating. So contrasting that, what would be an F rating for me? What's a movie that's just so loathsome that, like, you could only really enjoy it ironically? And I know a couple. I mean, like, Troll 2 has got to be one of those. Uh, Troll 2 is something that you sort of can't enjoy genuinely because it's just so weird, you know? It's, like, there's a lot of, like, it was an Italian director and crew and, like, an all-American cast, as I recall, and there was just this huge, like, misunderstanding of cultural norms and expectations and, like, so the whole movie is is this strange lopsidedness to it. It's not... Uh, like, visually, it's actually really well made, because the Italian filmmakers were good filmmakers. 
but you can't really immerse yourself in the continuity of the world because it's so like awkward and it's I don't know like in some ways it's brilliant because it is dreamlike and it's it's logic but on the other hand like you're taken out of it by just how weird all of the characters are there's no normal seat to contrast with it so you got to give it an F um so yeah like troll 2 I guess would be my F where like I have to enjoy that ironically because I recognize there was some actual failure on the part of the filmmakers they failed to do what they were trying to do there are parts in it that are just kind of awkward and bad um Mano Sands of Fate, any of the any of the MST3K canards would have to be an F rating, you know, because there was some failure on the part of the filmmakers themselves. So it's second D. Going there from the ADF rating, does it do something unique? And I, I don't know if I can say that it's unique in terms of like, you know, Hero is a little similar to it, and there, there's other uh, uh, Chinese movies that have like a similar structure to it. The uh, the through line of it being an investigation is something I hadn't seen before. Uh, in a in a in a wuxia movie, and this is clearly a wuxia movie. Uh, I didn't see that before, so that that's pretty unique. But is it universally unique? Um, not really. There, there's a theme of imperial corruption uh, with the Taoist emperor, the Taoist emperor, the Dowager Empress, uh, which is that that's played out. I've seen that before, so I'd have to give it closer to a, maybe a high C, low B rating there for originality. Does it look good? Is it well told as a visual story? Absolutely. Uh, definitely, it's an A rank there. Uh, it's it's beautifully crafted visually. It's very arresting. The fight scenes are consistently y- unique and surprising. It, that's an A for for Wuxia movies. You want the fights to be something that you haven't seen in in a Wuxia movie before. You want the fights to have a unique element. And it's the difference between like if you if you're a big anime fan like me, there's fights in let's say Dragon Ball Z or Dragon Ball GT, any of them. Uh, Dragon Ball Super, blah, blah, where there's fights where they're just throwing punches really fast, and then there's fights where they actually animate it, and they do unique movements. And those second ones are the ones that are universally preferred because they're 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 interesting. They're visually interesting. And Detective D is loaded with that. So visually, it's beautiful. Uh, and, and creatively, one of the fight scenes, it's an A+. It's really fantastic. Um, is the plot something that I hadn't seen before? I've not seen a plot like that. Um... Like I said, it's centered around an investigation. It has a lot of interesting reveals, and it has like a really good emotional through line to the character Detective D and the characters that are around him. Got to give it an A there. So I mean, like at the lowest, this movie has like a B plus or like a low A ranking. So I don't I don't know if it's like quite on the level of creativity and uniqueness of something like Pulse. But as far as being well made entertaining and having a lot of good creative unique ideas it's definitely higher on the spectrum so i'm, I'm gonna go with a high b rating it's not it's not my gold stars but it's definitely it should be proud of its place because it really is a movie that's worth your time and again i don't say that about a lot of movies <clears throat> i think i think there's there's a lot i like about detective d um number one the atmosphere is perfect. Yeah. It just has this this atmosphere, and 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 Chuihark is so great at creating these little worlds. There's that underground marketplace in, the, <coughs> in that that blue like that. Number one, if you're a D and D fan, you want to <laughs> just fast forward right to the underground marketplace scene because that that's like a beautiful place to sort of use as a model for a dungeon or any kind of underground structure or section of a city. Um, but the visually but... is, and also, and also, it's a dungeon that isn't hostile in the way you typically think of a dungeon as hostile. It, it's a lived-in place that's more friendly to just an adventure going into it. Yes. It's like a goblin market in the middle of a mega dungeon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Thing. And and I and I just think that's great. I think the the we'll, we'll call it the entity that they fight there 
is yeah. is brilliant. That 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 that, that would be, uh, you a, a GM could eight GMs could watch that scene and come up with eight very different but very cool uh, monsters or foes to send at the party just based on the premise alone. Um, yeah, I think I think that was a really cool fu- that that premise was was perfect. Um, <laughs> And I love the I love the Beatles the 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 Beatle the the whole concept behind the mystery I adored and well, uh, a good thing to point out in that fight is that it it again directly relates to the theme of the movie because yeah. when D's fighting them he's a badass martial hero but he doesn't beat them because he's a badass martial hero he beats them because he figures out that there's a mystery behind what he's fighting and he solves the mystery and that's how he wins and uh. Also, Andy Lau plays Detective D, and Andy Lau is an amazing actor. Um, you know, and and, and so I, I and, and I think I think it's a, this was a really good role for him uh, at the at the right time in his life. You know what I mean? It was just like it was like just the perfect moment for for having him in this role. Uh, nice. But the the standout for me in this is Karina Lau as Empress Wu. That is the the um, the the part of the, like she hangs over the whole movie and just like haunts it. She doesn't have all that many scenes. She's got a few key scenes, but most of the film is about Detective D. But they have a few points of interaction, and and it just creates this this I don't know what the word is, just this 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 sense of 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 doom and dread over everything. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because she's kind of a she's not quite a bad guy, but she's kind of a bad guy. They 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 she walks this very fine line in the movie that's difficult to pinpoint. Um, yeah, she's antagonistic. Uh, overall to D, but at the same time, she's not entirely unsympathetic or even like in, unapproachable or even villainous. Yeah. She she does use villainous techniques, but like yeah, she's a rich character. She's well portrayed. Uh, I I think the theme I've seen before enough that I feel like it's played out. But I think the way it's carried off in this movie is well carried off. Yeah. Well, so and, I can't, and, and I can't again, about that. I don't. I don't. I think the theme is somewhat unique in that it's Empress Wu rather than an emperor, and True. Empress Wu okay. is the only. You know, she's the only woman to really establish a, a dynasty that was that was governed by a woman. Um, you know, there have been other empresses that had power, but not official power like she she obtained. Um, and so, and you, all, and so, it just it's an interesting historical moment, and the way that they they, they sort of have her embody. I, I guess the thing that she's she embodies in this movie is is pure politics. Do you know what I mean? Just sort of like the 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 imperial politics that would make somebody like Detective D either useful or disposable, depending upon the circumstances. It's not yeah. it's not that she hates him and she wants to cause him harm. Uh, it's that she 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 uses people and she and she and she can and if they're if they're a problem for her, they can be cast aside. And it's not it's it's almost like a nothing personal type thing. Um, yeah, there, there's a the powerful element of real politic to it. Yeah, which and I think that we're supposed to read that again because it's it's for a Chinese audience. So I think we're supposed to read that as sinister at its core because it's it's rejecting like Rin and more like traditional Chinese like Confucian values. It's like there's no heart behind this. It's all about practicality, and that's not how we're supposed to do things. That makes it villainous. But as an American, I was like, yeah, real politic. <laughs> Because I'm a I'm a horrible asshole at my core, so. But 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 she's but she's like a very powerful character, and also very striking visually. If you ever seen Karina Lau, this is not how she's normally presented. Do you know what I mean? She's normal. She's a very beautiful woman, and the way that they depict her in this 
it's more striking than beautiful. Do you know I mean it's just sort of like a? But it's yeah, very imposing. Isn't it's not a feminine beauty presence. There, there's femininity to it, but there's and, and there is beauty to it. But it's more about the power of yeah. the whole role, and it, that's represented very well uh, visually. Another high mark for the movie. And uh, and and again, this does tie back to House of Paper Shadows because uh, Emperor, Empress Ainu in the uh, in the Ogregate setting is that was the source of inspiration was Karina Lau's uh, depiction of Empress Wu. Um, so, you know, and she's one of the hooks in the adventure for going into the House of Paper Shadows. And like Empress Wu in the movie, she hires you with the intent of killing you after you've done the job. So, um, which, which again, that happened in one of my campaigns. The, the, and the party was furious when, uh, when they found out. Um, which, which also sort of brings me to one of the parts of the movie that I really love, which is the unpredictable nature of it. Because you never quite know who's gunning for him and who's on his side and who isn't. And, okay. and I'm going to... We as the audience get to face the mystery with the same kind of apprehension that D has to. Very immersive. Very good. And, uh, and, and, and the, thing, the thing that I, I like about it a lot is the, um, the Ling Bingbing character, Shang Guan, um, who's a historical figure, by the way. That's a, she's based on somebody real. Um, she, her death scene is shocking. Every time I see it, I'm surprised when she dies. Like, I, I just never get accustomed to the fact that... Because you end up really liking her character, and you end up thinking of her as, like, she's the natural love interest of Detective D. Like, like if, even if they don't fall in love, there's going to be something in the future. These characters have some chemistry here. And they drop her like that at, at a moment you yeah. don't expect her to get dropped. In a way, you don't expect her to get dropped that is horrifying. And I would say almost body horror-like because of how it happens. Because it's just how grotesque the demise itself is. Well, yeah. I think because bo- body horror to me is the reduction of the human to meat. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like yeah. it's sort of like it remind. It's, it's a reminder that at the end of the day, anything can be done to the human body that sort of eliminates personality and life and all these other things. You know, it's sort of like it's just sort of like a body horror is the it emphasizes the physical nature of our of our existence and how dependent we are on it and and so in that in that moment in that scene she she goes from being this vibrant character to just you know being being impaled by these these wooden shafts and it's 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 it's, i i I, to me that it's like the most grueling scene in the movie for me to watch um that's a tough one yeah because i mean it really comes out of nowhere. Like if you're not expecting that, and you, there's no reason you should be. The impact is even worse. And yeah. again, we as the audience are put into D's place, which makes us emotionally resonate with him very strongly. Uh, very affecting movie for that. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm almost wishing we had done. We should have watched Detective D and talked about it today. Now that I'm thinking about it, we did. But, but we <laughs> did. Those things happen. But we did. But we didn't consciously watch it. Like <laughs> the last time I saw Detective D was like two years ago, I think. So I'm going vaguely by memory here. <laughs> But but I've seen it a lot, so I feel like a lot of the key scenes are sticking in my head. But um, but yeah, it's it's a great movie, and uh, and again, I think um, I think I think it's oddly fitting that it came up during the House of Paper Shadows, just given the the Detective D would be right at home in investigating the House of Paper Shadows, and he'd be in just as much danger. Yeah, no, no, he would, and it, 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 it it's 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 definitely Detective D territory. Um, <laughs> but uh but yeah so we've been going on for over an hour though so i'm gonna we're gonna okay we're gonna, we should wrap it up yeah, oh we'll, man so uh. 
but we, we covered a lot. And again, I will link to the <clears throat> images that Francesca has below. I'll also link to Bloody Parrot. If I if I don't for whatever and reason. House of Paper Shadows too. Don't don't forget. Like you can get this oh, yeah. around demand. Yeah, you can link get this, House of Paper. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll link that too. Um, Man, as people, so marketing's not like my my number one skill. People might have noticed. So. Um, Trust me, they want to buy it. Yeah. I wanted to buy it. I wanted this so hard. When you sent me the PDF review, I was like, "I can't." I was like, "Holy dude, you've got to send me the whole thing. I've got to review this. I need to do a proper review of it." Is what I need to do. I've been so slammed with stuff lately that I've not been prioritizing doing reviews. Uh, I, I've got a couple that I'm behind. I totally on. understand. I totally understand. Um, it, it, but I want. I really want to run this first. Like, I want to run it and then review after the running. Because then I've got. Like I've got the designer commentary from you. I've got you know, my own personal reading, and then I've got actual experience in having ran it. So with all three, I feel like I can give it an actually worthwhile review. The it only, deserves it deserves a review. The one thing I will say to you when you run this, the rule to keep in mind is how cathartic uh, uses of kung fu techniques operate, especially on counters, because mm. that matters a lot. If you have characters that are uh, fighting against a higher level character in Ogre Gate and they want to use a counter, they're supposed to use it cathartically unless otherwise stated. So uh, um, so that matters because it limits the amount of cathartic uses that you can, you can effectively do in an evening. So um, that's something I always point out to people is, the, uh, is, is that particular rule because if you don't see it, it really changes the dynamic of the game. Um, we, we may have to do uh, we may have to do another one of these at some point just about wandering heroes talk about the system itself thing is now that I'm becoming familiar with the game you designed I do want to talk about it and you seem like kind of the perfect guy to talk about it with yeah so. I, I might know a thing or two about uh, about <laughs> oddly enough um, but you know it's funny I probably have players that know more about it than I do at this point like you make a game uh, and then like you get you get people that get like even more nerdy about the details than you and I I have one player in one of my games who figured all the he, he's like a whiz magic player and he, you know he's like just one of these people that's like he's also got a really good memory his memory like i've 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 tested our 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 memories just when i've been hanging out with him just you know on my own not like as like a literal sit down quiz and i can tell he's got a better memory than me and he he's he's figured out the whole system uh <laughs> so uh but but yeah i do know a thing or two about it so so i'm still worth talking to uh, but <laughs> I did make it after all. <laughs> but um, but but yeah. So but we'll let you go. And again, you can pick up House of Paper Shadows at RPG Now or Drive Through. You can order it online. It's available. I have a link to the Studio Two site. But you can also get it at various places online. It might be on Amazon at this point. I don't know. Usually by the time it gets to Amazon, it's not quite at the same uh, hefty price tag. I think ours is uh, nineteen ninety nine, uh, which isn't too bad actually. But, um, it's it's worth the price of admission. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah, I'm pretty comfortable putting twenty bucks on on the back of this book. I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's really thin. This is something that alarmed me about it. So when I got the review copy, I was used to reading the PDF, and the PDF feels gigantic. Mm. Not because it's weighty, but because it's so like dense and rich with cool stuff. So when I actually got the paper copy, it's really small. Yeah, yeah, it's lean. It's a hundred pages. Um, You're not going to regret that size though, because it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier to read. It makes it a lot. I'm certain it makes it a lot easier to run. It makes it really easy to flip through to your favorite bits. It's it's well laid out enough. You don't have to worry about that. And again, the only comparison I can think is to uh, Maze of the Blue Medusa, which is 
optimized to be ran directly from the book, like crack open the spine, here's everything you need. This is really clear. It's not, I mean, like, clearly you don't have that, like, that level of transparency, but, like, you're really close. Like, this this is something that's got a really clean map, key, and then the elements are all, like, right there, right where you need them. I will say the so, thing The thing you, you know, need to do, though, is you do need to, the background information is very critical, and if you don't read that in advance, you'll be struggling. So, so. I, I found that about Maze, too. Like, Maze, you, you really should play off the cuff, but, like, you need to read, like any Mega Dungeon, you need to read it before you start it. Well, where, where it'll get, where it'll trip people up is if they hit that mystery time travel adventure. There, that's when that becomes very important, because you have to kind of know what happened. Um but yeah, so people can definitely pick it up, and uh, I encourage them to do so. And and hopefully, you know, we'll be back on. I think our next movie is going to be a Chinese ghost story. We just have to secure a version for everybody. I got to get it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I, I'm trying to obtain the Blu-rays to send to um, to Joel and to Adam because it's. Uh, uh, yeah, I need to. Uh, it's, it's, I need to get back to talking with uh, David Ramirez because he he expressed a lot of interest in talking about yeah. that with and us. If, so I'm gonna, I can schedule. And if that. that takes a little bit of time, we'll squeeze in another movie before then, like you know, like just to get get an episode in, but. Um, but I think I think it should be, uh, you know, obtaining them should be easy enough. Um, and and anyways, uh, we'll be back on, and we will talk to you later. Bye.